Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Oh my goodness, going to grow this church one way or the other, that's for sure. Man, congratulations, what a joy to celebrate with everybody, and I expect there will be a lot more in 21, because y'all were spending quarantine to the glory of God, so we know it's coming, but um, hey, I do want to say, I know some of y'all are like, that. that's my kid and everything, but uh, some of y'all are like me, and your kiddos are a little bit older, and that's in the rearview mirror, and I wanted to tell you, I actually wore this t-shirt to remind myself, to remind you, uh, whether you're online or in person, to get your middle and high school students signed up for camp this summer, all right? Camp is coming, uh, and I know many people that, if they're like me, really came to faith as a middle, middle school student or high school student, uh, and they were in the church, they can look back on camp as a critical moment, whether it's coming to faith or renewing a commitment to Christ, whatever that is, uh, it is a huge week, so get signed up. Which I guess just leaves, if you're like, well, what if my kids are already out of the house or we don't have kids yet? Well, that's easy. You need to go hold one of those kids so those parents can take a nap or you need a scholarship, uh, one of these kids to go to camp. Okay, you pick however you want to do it. So that's the whole family. All right. Um, If you got your Bibles, Luke 22. Luke 22 is where we're going. We're in a series where we are walking with the disciples Um, and Jesus from the upper room to the empty tomb. In this series, we're calling Death and Resurrection, Why Jesus Had to Die. And today, we're making our way into the Garden of Gethsemane. What I'm going to do is actually read, uh, starting in verse 39, I'm going to read you our whole text for today, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. All right, so let me read God's word to you here, Luke 22, starting in verse 39. He went out, this is Jesus, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer we are going to look into today. And we're going to talk about what the will of God is for us. But more importantly than just figuring that out like it's a puzzle, it's not what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the will of the self submitting to the will of the Father 
and why that's good for us. Why it's good for us to go there. We're going to kind of do three things here. I'm going to, to walk through this passage uh, just really verse by verse, hopefully in such a way that you can actually take this practice back home with you. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're sitting down with God's word and you're getting meaning from him. You're getting direction and guidance from him through the spirit. We're going to walk through that. And then second thing we're going to do is talk about what it's going to take to get to where we align our will with God's will. Like how do we actually get there? And then thirdly, I'm going to walk around the arenas of your life and talk about what it would look like to apply God's will. I'm going to get up in your business a little bit, okay? So we're going to walk through it, talk about how we align, and then I'll, I'll get up in your business. So let's start just walking through it, all right? Verse 39. He went out, made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. All right. So he left dinner. We've been in dinner, the dinner scene, the first couple of weeks of our series. Now he's left dinner. He's going out to the Mount of Olives. This is like a um, kind of a mountain overlooking the east side of Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 says it's on this mountain where the Messiah, that's where he's going to stand, right there on that mountain as he comes to bring redemption to the world. And just a little sidebar, it's like every step Jesus takes and every word that he says is fulfillment of something that the Old Testament promised about the Messiah, even this little moment right here. Everything is fulfilled of what he's done in the Old Testament, all right? And this is the garden we know from Matthew's gospel. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's this holy place. It's this usual spot where he goes. By the way, just it's his usual spot that he goes to meet with the Lord. And even in his pattern, you can see something that, he should, that you should be receiving as something he's calling you into, to go to your usual spot. Do you have a usual spot that you spend time with the Lord? And maybe it's a kitchen table Maybe it's a desk somewhere, but a usual spot. You go and you meet with God and you pray, all right? This is a holy place that we're looking into. And so the disciples go with him, verse 40. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. All right. Pray that you might not fall into temptation. Both Jesus and the disciples are going to be subject to temptation here in this scene. And part of knowing and following God's will for your life is knowing that there is an enemy out to tempt you away from God's will for your life. We are in a very real battle. So we need to talk about this for a couple of minutes here. This is very important. The disciples are starting to get a sense that Jesus is going to die. And the reason they're getting that sense is because he just told them that, right? He said, I am going to go and die, all right? And so... When the guy that you've kind of hitched your wagon to, to use the old metaphor, that you've devoted your life to says he's going to go and die, that shakes you a little bit. And so they're in a little bit of a shaky spot. And the disciples, shaken by this, there's a message to us. There's an enemy who exists who loves to strike at us when our circumstances are shaky. When we start to think because of the way things are going, Maybe God isn't hearing me. Maybe he isn't in control. Maybe as we sang this morning, he doesn't know my name. He doesn't care about me. So what does he tell the disciples to do, knowing that they're vulnerable? Pray. So simple, isn't it? Pray. Because our weapon against the enemy's attack is not strength. It is dependence. It is weakness 
dependence, surrender, humility, whatever word you want to use there, it is dependence on God, not strength apart from God. I can't stress this enough because Christians, the longer we we are Christians, the more it seems like we try to grit out our fight against temptation without the help of God. I mean, we do everything except depend on God to bring us out of it. I know I have. All right, some of the silliest practices I've ever seen or heard of are Christians trying to outwit temptation apart from the strength of God, right? Like, I'm going to delete my Instagram account because if I delete my Instagram account, then I will never struggle with comparison of other people ever again. Or, hey, we're not going to hold hands because if we don't hold hands, then we're not going to be tempted, you know, to go further with each other. Or you got the guys that are walking around wearing a, a rubber band around their wrist as they feel tempted. They're supposed to snap the rubber band, and that'll just snap them out of temptation, right? And all you have in, like, my ninth grade youth group is just a bunch of guys just snapping the wristband all day long, right? <laughs> Look, I am a believer in smart discipleship, all right? So, like, like if your head is made of butter, keep it away from the fire. I, I do believe that. But trying to outsmart temptation apart from actively seeking God's help is pointless, It's like trying to put out a forest fire with a water gun. It's not going to work. Behavior modification alone, hear me, behavior modification by itself will not keep you from sinning. So yes, change your behavior. Yes to smart discipleship, maybe to all of those. But more than that, you need a desire change and you need God's help. You need new desires. You can't, listen, (laughs) this is my, my point in all this is that You can't just stop desiring. You're a human. You're made with desires. That's the problem with some of those things is is all they're focused on is stop, 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 stop. But you got to change the direction of your desire, not just stop. We were made to desire. I mean, that's why the psalmist talks about God. It's like, it's Psalm 1611. It's your right hand, our pleasures in you. It's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. We were made to desire And when we see his love for us, man, that changes us. We want to start abiding in his love. Then it will start to change our desires. Instead of just saying, I don't know, if this is sin right here, I feel like a lot of discipleship is just being told, walk away. But you keep looking at it, and a lot of Christians along their life say, I just want it, but I'm going to withhold, right? And we're just walking away. I would do the moonwalk if I was able to. But that's what we're doing here. We're just trying to walk backwards instead of turning and looking at something better. Does that make sense? It's a simple idea that is crucial in discipleship. It's saying yes to God, not just no to sin. Yes, say no to sin. Yes, I said a lot of yes and no's right there. Say no to sin, but also yes to God and who he is and what he's done for me. And, and do so on your knees in prayer, in God's spirit and God's power. Go to God, ask him to keep you from temptation. What Jesus is telling them here is no different than what he told them back in the Lord's prayer. Lord, do not bring us into temptation. Go into the Lord, seeking and depending on him. We need you to deliver us. And I know, I, I have been in enough discipleship conversations to know sometimes we tend to think, man, if I keep struggling with the same thing, maybe it means that I'm not saved. Like maybe my salvation didn't fully take. I'm only, I only got half of it or something. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul, maybe as a, a source of comfort right here to you, okay? He knows what you're feeling. He's felt it. The people in his church felt it. All right, this is over in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So all of those things, 
except what is common to humanity. But, how, what's his thing? But, he didn't say but, just deal with it and grit it out. No, he says, but God is faithful. He points you up, points you over to God. God is faithful. He'll allow you, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, because he's such a good and gracious God, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. He said, man, I know you're thinking you're the first man or woman to, in 2,000 years of Christianity, you're the first one to ever deal with that temptation. It's not true. There have been a lot of messed up Christians, right? In fact, that's all of us over the past 2,000 years. I mean, he's writing this to the Corinthian church. Why don't you go read Corinthians? There's some messed up dark stuff going on right there that actually gets put on the pages, all right? Temptation comes, testing comes, and when it does, the reminder to you right there is God is faithful. He's not going to let you be overcome if you'll submit to him, and he'll give you a way out. I was trying to think of like the way to shorthand this that you would remember this whole idea about temptation, and the best I got is stop, drop, and roll, all right? So temptation comes. Right when it comes on, you stop everything, drop to your knees in prayer and dependence on God, and then in the power of the Holy Spirit, just roll on out of there, right? Stop, drop, and roll, all right? I do want to say this and keep moving. Listen, man or woman of God, because of Christ, you can have victory over that sin and over that temptation. That is not, I feel like this is a theme this morning, that is not happy hallmark sentiment. That is biblical truth. You stay close to Jesus. You stay on your knees in prayer. You stay in community where others know you so well that they know your sin patterns, and God is faithful. And Romans 8, 11 says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus out of the dead is in you. That's power. And I want you to go into that battle this afternoon with that hope. You feel like you've tried everything. Man, I want you to pray. I want you to fast and pray. Get vigilant in your prayer life. Have hope against that temptation. Maybe it's the temptation to fear and it's overwhelming you. I'm telling you, you have not been given 2 Timothy 1.7, the thing we started praying a year ago this week, 2 Timothy 1.7, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Fear is a spirit, and it is not the one you have been given. It's not a personality, it's a, fear, it's a spirit, and it's not the one you've been given. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. And the way out, the way out of that fear that the enemy wants to bring on you is actually weakness. It's dependence on God. Make your determined effort to be a determined effort to pray. Get your D group and set up times on your phone where you text each other and say, hey, right now at this time, maybe it's at 2.17 in the afternoon like we were doing this time last year, we're going to pray for one another. I'm going to pray for that temptation. Pray on the spot the minute you hear, man, hey, I'm really dealing with this right now. Let's pray right now, right? Let's pray for it. That's strength through weakness. All right, let's keep going. Verse 41, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. I just want to get you ready for this. God the Son is going to pray to God the Father, and in God's kindness to us, he lets us listen in. <laughs> There's a reason God put this private prayer in the Bible for us to read it so that we will worship at what it means for us, and then we'll follow it, follow Jesus into it. Verse 42 Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
You see this father? Jesus is submitting himself to God the Father, even though John 1's gonna tell us he is equal with God. He's God. But the prayer is offered to the Father through the Spirit by the Son, this incredible moment of humility, one we should marvel at, rejoice in, that even God the Son is submitted to God the Father. If you are willing, he says, if put that back up there on the screen. I want to make sure they see it. If you are willing, this is like a mystery to me. Jesus knows the will of the Father. If he knows the will of the Father, and yet he is submitted to the will of the Father, but he's asking for another way. And I think in the providence of God, what's happening here is that Jesus is modeling for us submission to God the Father no matter the cost. Submission no matter the cost. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus describes this relationship that he has with God the Father, right? One time, every now and then, it's like complete unity. He's talking about the fact that he's God. And then there's moments like these where he's submitted to the will of the Father. And this right here is a mystery. You can't explain it any other way that I know of than to say they are one in essence and yet distinct in persons. And really smart people have been trying to figure that out for 2,000 years. I won't be solving that beyond this in this sermon, okay? He says, take this cup from me. Oh, I want you to hear some freedom right there. That God the Son, who knows fully what's about to happen, still asks for alleviation from suffering. It is okay to ask God to take away your pain and suffering. It's okay to go to him with that. We're his children. He loves you. He wants you to come to him and ask for things. What makes this prayer so powerful to me is that it holds together the right and good practice of asking God to alleviate suffering and the right and good desire to submit to the will of God. This cup that he's talking about was no joke. I told you week one. Isaiah 51 calls this the wrath of God poured out against sin, not just against one person's sins, all mankind's sin for all time. Every, sing, I mean, every single sin is an injustice towards God. And God in his patience and loving kindness has not brought all that punishment to bear on us. I mean, think about, just think about the things that you did like before you got to church this morning and the things that you thought and didn't say. Before you got it. I mean, Courtney and I, um, we, were, um, out, we were in seminary and church is about 45 minutes or 40 minutes away. And we were doing a setup teardown situation. So we would leave the house at like 530 in the morning to get to church. And sometime, somewhere around Highway 98 right over this lake, this is like where the devil lived. All right. And we would start arguing at like 6 a.m., so many Sunday mornings. I don't know, the devil lives on the drive to church Sunday morning, okay? Or whatever the getting ready is, it looks like, for those of you online. Um, look, I don't even know why we were even talking at that point, by the way. It's like, why, why are we talking? But you think about all the things that you do and think just before one Sunday morning. Now, multiply those out to everything you did and thought last week, last year. And think about very real things, like the Holocaust was a very real thing that really happened. The slave trade was a real thing that really happened. The harsh word you spoke to your friend, to your sibling, to your employee, to your employer, was really happened. These are all sins. And all of these, all of these, the punishment for those sins against God the, uh, against God the Father is going on to God the Son. 
all this righteous punishment because he is a God of justice. He isn't just going to let it go. He must hand down this punishment in response to sin. He puts all of it on Jesus. That's the cup Jesus is saying, let it pass from me. But then nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the crux of the prayer I want you to see. Not my will, but yours be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer that has changed my life. It will change your life if you commit yourself to it. Um, when, I, when we say your will, I'm going to give you my working definition. There's nothing super special about this. But I just want us to have a language for this. It's your hopes and dreams and your plans you make for them. Your will be done. Your will. Your will is your hopes and dreams and the plans you make for them. Like Courtney and I just got our, our last will and testament up to date. It's our plans that we've laid out, our hopes for our kids and our plans we've laid out to bring those into reality. We're going to divide up all 0.6 acres, right? And everybody, all four of them are going to get a portion. It's going to be like four square, right? Sitting there with that. Like that's all they're going to have, but made plans. And Jesus is saying right here, not my will, right? I don't want to suffer, but more important than my suffering is your will. More important than my life is your will. If Jesus' will and the Father's will are in conflict, which we know, by the way, we know up in the sovereignty of God, there's no way there can be, and yet he's doing this, modeling this for us. He's submitting to the will of the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, oh, this is good. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. You may never notice this. I never sat in this like I did until this week. It's just like when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. The angels are submitted to God the Son, and while I do think this is unique in some sense because of the unique suffering that Jesus is going through, I don't think angels have stopped serving the purposes of God. They continue to carry out God's purposes now, as does the very Spirit of God who prays to God the Father on our behalf when we pray. This is how much God loves you. Listen to me. If he says no to your prayer, especially your prayer to alleviate suffering, he will supply strength for you to walk in that no. He's not leaving you. It's not like no and I'm out. No, it's no, and if you'll still depend on me, I will provide for you even more as you walk through that no. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. His anguish drove him deeper into prayer. His anguish over the certainty of the cup of wrath made him more desperate and closer to the Father. Y'all, you see this modeling for us? The more the suffering starts to overwhelm us, the more it should drive us closer to the Father. Increase in worship. Increase in dependency instead of decrease. 45, when he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Some of you have been there and understand that. It's grief, the Messiah leaving. Verse 46, why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. This repeated command should be a big alarm to us that the way to fight against temptation is prayer. Strength through weakness, through dependence. Sleepy Christians trusting in their own strength are always the ones the enemy takes out first. So be alert, steadfast in prayer. That's our passage. Now I told you the next thing we do is talk about how to align your will to God's will. All right, that's our passage. How do we align your will to God's will? I think I'm going to give you, I think I got three things that are going to be on the screen. Um, some other things I'm just, just looking at. All right, first, first is the gospel, church. We, are, we say all the time we center ourselves on the gospel here. 
believe he gave his whole life for your whole life. How do you center your will and align your will with God's will? He starts by believing he gave his whole life for your whole life. That's what's happening in the garden. What I cannot believe is that our God doesn't just call us to obey him. He has every right to, but instead he goes first and he goes farther. See, Jesus took the penalty for our sin, the full wrath of God, so that when we face death, we only face a shadow of it. We don't face the whole thing. I've heard it explained like the difference between getting, uh, jumping out on Providence Road and getting hit by a truck versus standing on the sidewalk and getting hit by the shadow of that truck as it comes by. Because of Christ, death for us, the sting of death is gone, and death is but a shadow because of what he has done. Now, 1 John captures uh, the Christian life. There's a verse in 1 John. 1 John 4.19 captures the Christian life for me. If I were ever to get a tattoo, I don't know if I can pull off tattoos, but if I were ever to get one, this would be the one that I would get. We love because he first loved us. Period. End of statement. Christian life. We love. We love God. We love one another. We love everyone we come in contact with. Our, our instinct is to love because we look back, he first loved us. The power, the motivation, and the model for love all comes from believing he first loved us. He went first. I need you to hear that. He's not asking you to go where he hasn't gone. This is not my will, but yours to be done. Man, our love of God, our willingness to submit to God's will, is because he loved us first. When you didn't love him, he loved you. I need you to say that to you here today or watching online, listening maybe because a friend sent it to you. God is not waiting on you to act right to love you. He went, into the, he went up to the cross in full knowledge that you would run away from him. In full knowledge, you would need the forgiveness and new life he offers. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And God's will was to give his own son over to death so that you could have new life. He loves you. He's not waiting on you to act right in order to love you. He loves you. The gift of God's love has been extended to you and is there for you to receive. And when you abide, John 15, 9, when you abide in his love, you begin to see. Here's what happens. This is going to be important for the rest of this understanding. How do we align our will with God's will? <laughs> you begin to see that his ways are better than your ways. You begin to desire his ways. That his will, even when it feels like death, is actually life to you. And what's so, so awesome, when you receive his love for you, he starts to actually change your desires. You start to love what he loves, and your will, your hopes, dreams, and, and your plans to bring them to bear, they're going to be synced up with God's will. You're going to start to want what God wants. And your prayers are going to start to get answered just like you prayed them because you are loving what God loves and asking for the glory of God to be made known and made visible in the world that you're walking around in. But you won't believe his will is better than yours until you believe that he loves you more than you love yourself. <laughs> Pride messes us, messes us up in a couple of ways. Either you think you are so good on your own, and I see this a lot in suburbia, where most of our ministry context is, you think you're so good on your own that you don't need his love, or you think you're so unworthy of his love that you gotta constantly prove yourself. Both are pride, because both assume you know better than God. You do need God, 
but you cannot prove yourself in order to get him. His salvation is the one thing you can't live without, but it's the one thing also you are not entitled to, and yet the one thing he offers before you do anything for him. Believe in his love for you. Believe he gave his whole life for your whole life. And secondly, don't give up. Just keep taking steps. Don't give up. Y'all remember those, um, we were in Proverbs, those of you who have been around Mercy a little bit. Uh, We were in Proverbs last year, and we talked about the two paths, the path of life and the path of death. Now, sometimes the first step or two or 20, like I just said, down the path of life feels like death because saying not my will, but yours be done is dying to self. And in real life, that's hard (laughs) because you're dying to the desires you've been operating by. On the contrary, the first few steps down the path of death feel like life. They do. I see this with young people, particularly who were church kids growing up. They were taught that sex before marriage is going to lead to destruction in their life. But then they have sex, and they don't experience destruction. So they start to think, maybe the Bible's wrong. Right? Maybe this all isn't real. What they don't see is that they're taking steps down a path. Their conscience is starting to get seared to the voice of God, to the Holy Spirit in their life. And it's not until they're way down the path of death, and maybe years later, that they experience the coldness of heart and soul and the distance from God and the effects of their sin that they've been walking towards this whole time. They didn't believe they were on the path because they didn't feel like they were on the path. We got to trust the path of life, even if it feels like death, and surrender our desires to God's will and trust him. I feel like sometimes we get about, two, get about maybe two steps down the path of life, and we're like, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> I'm telling you today, Christian, he is worth it, and there's something happening there. Give your whole life to God. He will give you new life. It won't always be like that. I'm promising you, your flesh is waging war against you. Trust him. And this is why, by the way, we do this in community, right? It's Galatians 3.3, what what you began in the spirit, are you now going to go and finish in the flesh? No, trust God and keep walking. And here's the last one. told you I'd get up in your business a little bit, but I'm telling you it's worth it. In every arena of your life, pray not my will, but yours be done. This is where life change starts to happen. When your first instinct in every arena, every theater of life is to look not for what you want, but for what God wants. This prayer, I'll just tell you, it has changed my marriage. It has changed my work ethic. For me, it even changed my career. I know it's not everybody, but uh, it did for me, but it'll change how you approach work. It's changed, and there's so many times where I've wanted to, everything in me, because it feels like death wants to push against it, but I've experienced so much of the goodness of God as I've continued to pray it that I keep going back to it. So let me show you what we're talking about. First example, in my singleness, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe that will is to pursue a spouse. Maybe it's to stop pursuing a spouse. Maybe it's to get out of a bad relationship. Maybe it's to get in a good relationship. Whatever it is, what if you prayed, God, not my hopes and dreams and plans to achieve them, but yours? Uh, My wife's spiritual mentor, uh, just retired, never married. And as we've walked through life with her these past 10, 15 years, and she's shared, of course, plenty of times. Has that been hard? Yes, of course. Especially because the church, 
Just like a little bit like we did today, celebrates marriage and family. And because it does, it can unintentionally devalue singleness. But I promise you, Scripture does not devalue singleness. In fact, it exalts singleness to this special place of honor and responsibility in the kingdom of God. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God is going to lead you to when you start praying that. But in my singleness, Father, not my will, but yours be done. All right, what about in our families? In my family, not my will, but yours be done. Parents, what are your hopes and dreams for your kids and your plans that you're making to achieve them? Are they yours or are they God's? Are you trying to control your kid's future or are you trying to prepare them for his will? When I see Christian parents obsessed with activities for their kids instead of obsessed with their closeness to God, I want to plead with them, pray this prayer. And it will feel difficult to pray this. The path to life will feel like death as you actually walk in the steps of Jesus. But there will be, on the other side of that, new life for your family. Now, I'm I'm not telling you what activities, you know, to do and what not to do. I'm telling you to let God's purposes for your family reign over and above your hopes and dreams. And by the way, if you're like, well, how do I start really working that out? We actually have a family worship equip forum coming up uh, really soon, just a couple, just a month or two. So come learn how. Um, All right, family next in your career. God in my career, not my will, but yours be done. This one might feel ambiguous. Like I said, it changed my actual career trajectory. Maybe a handful, maybe a couple of y'all, that is going to be what happens though. All right, but for most of us, It's surrendering your hopes and dreams and plans to achieve them to God's purposes. For example, he's more concerned with your character than with your compensation gains. He's more concerned with your work rest margin than your profit margin. He's more concerned with your impact on people than on the bottom line. He's concerned with excellence in your work, but only as it represents him. I can't tell you what his specific will is in your situation, but I can promise you, you start praying this prayer day in, day out as you abide in Christ, and he's going to start convicting you about that. All right, what about my reputation? God, in my reputation, not my will, but yours be done. Y'all, I want us, Mercy Church, I want us to be unashamed worshipers of Jesus. I feel like our city needs that. I think we need to put to death our image We were made in the image of God. Stop trying to be God. And instead, like David, dance before our God. You're not going to win people into heaven with your put-togetherness. All right? That would be God giving you glory if that's how that happened. No, you're going to see people come to Jesus by making much of him and humbling yourself. I know. We all still want to be the cool kids at the cafeteria or in the cafeteria. Put that to death, make much of Jesus, and you can find some freedom there. All right, next, in my retirement. In my retirement, not my will, but yours be done. I love that God has given us people in every stage of life here. So let me speak to you that are approaching it or in it. This needs to be the greatest years of ministry of your whole life. The whole idea of retiring from life while still alive is antithetical to the gospel. Look, end your work, sure, good, good, retire. Praise God if he allows you to do that. But God's will, I'll go, what I think I know, 
is not for you to get fat floating on a lake while staring at birds. Do some of that, enjoy it, but then get to work raising up the next generation of disciples of Jesus Christ. Go to the nation, see a people group come to faith. The bizarreness of dying before you die, it's this ridiculous carrot at the end of the work like a dog for 40 years stick that's been dangled in front of us. It's not from God. But what is for you? Start praying this prayer and let's see. Let's see what God does in your own life. Not my will, but yours be done. Related maybe to that a little bit, but for all of us in my money. Uh Uh-oh. Not my will, but yours be done. Put a personal budget down on paper. If you don't use a personal budget, I would encourage you to do that. Um, we got a financial uh, planning course that we're getting ready to launch out here. You need a, a budget. Put that down and say, okay, God, what do you want here? Not my will, but yours be done. Not after I've already done all of my will and with the $6 I have left over, do you want that or do I give that to Starbucks? Will be done. No, all of it. Not my will, but yours. What are you doing here, God? In our church. In our church, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, let me say something. I was with some other pastors this past week. So first I want to say, when I keep thanking y'all for being faithful and flexible, especially this past year, I mean it. Y'all are a joy to pastor. All right? I mean that. And I'm saying what I'm about to say to both me and you. And really me first. What if you've mistaken your desires and preferences for our church with God's will? Again, by and large, I love how committed we are to being a biblical church. But what if we redoubled our prayer lives, and this is what God has convicted me on and I've begun to do, over Mercy Church and just saying, God, we want what you want. We want what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. The elders are constantly praying this over our church. And I would invite you alongside of us. I think here's the last one for today. In my suffering, in my suffering, take us back into that garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Run to him, not from him in suffering. Suffering is not a sign God has forgotten you. It is an opportunity to draw close to him. First Peter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. I want you to walk out of here rejoicing. Man, rejoicing that your Savior knows where you are, but he's been further and he loves you. And he offers you hope that one day his glory is going to be revealed. And because I believe in his sacrifice for me, I believe I will also share in his glory. That's what First Peter's saying. At some point, God is going to, God's going to take you into a garden. At some point, God is going to take you into a garden, a dark night of suffering. At some point, some of you, I've just been a pastor long enough to know this, Some of you, God is going to take suddenly. Some of you, you're going to contract a disease and it's going to be slower. Some of you are going to be on the other side of it. You're going to be the one that experiences unexpected loss. And my question to you is when you gather around the graveside, will you worship your way through that grief? 
Will you trust God the Father even then? Even then, not my will, but yours be done. We're going to pray for healings here as a church because we believe our God can heal. And because Jesus models, Lord, take this cup from me. The prayer for healing and the prayer of surrender to the will of God are not at odds with each other. They're simply the prayers of children who pray to their father. And we trust the father with the outcome. I know, if you're not a Christian, I know all of this sounds a little bit crazy. But it's the path of Jesus and the path to life. Surrender your whole life to God and live. Not my will, but yours be done. Let me close us with Peter's close to his first letter. And then we're going to take communion together. This is 1 Peter 5. Verses 6 to 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, not some, all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to what he's going to do for us, church, restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. To you be the glory, God. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I can, I can sense conviction. I can sense warfare. I can sense tugging on those two paths and the, how the spirit tears between the, the two. And the, the flesh wants to go one way. The spirit's leading us another. And the, God, I pray from our brothers and sisters, that you would convict them and lead them towards life. Show them that you're better. Show them that you're better. I want you to take a second, um, get out those communion elements. If you don't have them and you're online, you can go and grab those now. If you're in our room here, um, we've got ushers in the back who can, you can make your way to those back doors. They'll give them to you. And I want you to take a second and hold these and, and really remain in a posture of prayer. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe an arena of life that I spoke to is one that is like specific that you need to pray that, but maybe it was one that I didn't bring up. That's the way the Spirit works. You know what's going on in you, and God knows. So I want you to respond to God with whatever that is you've been holding on to. Not my will, but yours be done. You take a second, Christian, and you pray that as you hold these elements that remind you that he loves you. And we only love and obey because he first loved us. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to take these elements in a second. You're going to hear the message behind them. You take just a moment and pray.
the message of the gospel is the is he loved us first. These elements are just a tangible reminder of that great love. Man, I, I don't know, I just kind of get that feeling that there's somebody in here that needs to be reminded. And maybe you just need to finally stop fighting God. Your will and his will are colliding. His will is better for you. It's better. Surrender and receive. As you receive these elements, receive his love, receive his compassion. Receive his fullness of life. If you're not a Christian, listen. What I want to tell you to do right now, say, God, I recognize that I've been running from you. I'm turning from that. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I receive it. I receive it today. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. That prayer is yours. It's available today. He passed around the bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, remember me. So church, take, eat, and remember Christ. And then he took the cup, said it represented his blood that was being poured out to create a new covenant, a new relationship. We relate to God, not by our performance, but by his blood shed for us and belief in it. So church, take, drink, and remember Christ. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. God, help us to believe what Scripture says to be true. Not my will, but yours be done. Your will is better for us. You are better for us. Thank you for loving us. And we love only because you first loved us. We worship you. We say thank you. We celebrate your grace on us. In Christ's name.